All right, team, let me tell you about NewZest, clean plant-based nutrition products to meet the demands of modern life. And I'm super excited to announce that they are a sponsor of Wikipedia. With over a decade of experience and a presence in more than 20 countries worldwide, NewZest has emerged as a leader in providing innovative solutions for those seeking healthier and more sustainable choices. In a world where people are looking for clean labels, easily digestible ingredients, and allergen-free options, NewZest delivers and totally has you covered. Clean Lean Protein is a plant-based protein powder and contains all nine essential amino acids. It encourages recovery, vitality, muscle repair, and growth, and helps you hit your protein requirements, which you know I am all about. One of my favorite products is their Good Green Vitality. It's the gold standard in multi-nutrients. It's designed to make complex nutrition simple. The Super Blend is carefully formulated to address all aspects of health. 75 ingredients working together to support everything from digestion, immunity and healthy aging to stress, energy and cognition in one daily serve. Grab yours today, guys, with a sweet 20% discount for being a listener of the show with the code Wikipedia over at their website. And we will pop a link in the show notes for you to be able to do that. All right, now back to the show. Welcome. Hi. I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia, and this week on the podcast, I speak to Dr. Andrew Jagum about the value of energy drinks. There are literally hundreds of different choices available, and while they may seem like the domain of the sleep-deprived or of the adolescent gamer, there's more to them than just leaving you wired. So today on the podcast, we do a deep dive into the ins and outs of energy drinks based on a position statement released by the International Sports Science and Nutrition Group as to what the science says is worth considering when it comes to the different types of energy drinks. So we discuss the ingredients that have a real sports performance benefit, the timing of consumption in order to optimize their benefits, what athletes should look for in their ideal multi-ingredient drink, what the potential risks are and for whom, and the appropriateness of them for an adolescent population. And we discuss so much more than that as well. It's a super interesting conversation actually. So Dr. Andrew Jagum is currently the Director of Sports Medicine Research for the Mayo Clinic Health System in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and an Associate Professor of Family Medicine. Dr. Jagum completed his PhD in Kinesiology with an emphasis in Exercise Physiology at Texas A&M University. 
Dr Jagim is also a certified strength and conditioning specialist with distinction through the National Strength and Conditioning Association and a certified sports nutritionist through the International Society of Sports Nutrition. His primary research area focuses on nutritional requirements, knowledge and dietary intake of athletes and how these factors influence performance and health. Dr Jagim also studies the physiological demands of various sports and how they pertain to injury, recovery status and performance. He also has a focused interest on the safety and efficacy of dietary supplements, which obviously is the topic of conversation today. So this work has led to several publications in peer-reviewed journals and presentations at national conference events. And in the show notes, I will put a link to the position statement that this conversation is based around. And also, of course, Dr. Andrew Jagim's biography from the Mayo Clinic. So I think, athlete or not, most people are going to find this a super interesting conversation and um, and certainly if you know of people who enjoy energy drinks or might have one too many energy drinks, this would be definitely um, one to share with them. Just a reminder though that the best way to support this podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your favourite podcast listening platform because that increases the visibility of the podcast out there in amongst the literally thousands of other podcasts so more people get the opportunity to learn from the guests that I have on the show, like Dr. Jagan. All right, team, enjoy this conversation. Andrew, thank you so much for your time this morning. I'm really looking forward to um, chatting to you. And and funny story, actually, I had one of my clients email me this morning and said that her son had, um, she was concerned about the number of energy drinks that he was consuming, uh, in part because the gym that he goes to were like commenting on the fact that he was having like two energy drinks in a day before, Absolutely. yeah, before uh, hitting his workout. Um, there's an issue with that, isn't there? Yeah, I, that's not my favorite thing to see. And, and we have the same issue around here. Those drinks are really popular among adolescents and, and high school age athletes. And it's it's not my favorite thing to see. It's just, it's a bad habit to get into at that age. So yeah, yeah. And it's interesting and here in New Zealand as well. I think there is a restriction on the age with which you can purchase them. Is that the same for you over in the States? You can still purchase them if you're under the age of 18. They do have a warning label, um, you know, that says caution for those under the age of 18, but they could still walk into a convenience store and purchase it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, before we sort of kick on into the topic for today, energy drinks and energy shots, can you just give us a little bit of your, um, of your background um, with your research and just sort of where you're based and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a PhD in kinesiology was the official title of the degree with very much an emphasis in exercise physiology and sport round or sports nutrition, excuse me. So that's kind of always been my interest is revolving around, you know, how the body responds to exercise and then how nutrition fits into that. So how can we improve, you know, performance in acute type settings or over time, how can we use various nutritional strategies to kind of enhance training adaptations. Um, usually kind of a focus more on athletic populations, but some of that work is, has kind of been extended into either tactical athlete populations or even, you know, taking what we know works with athletes and applying it to some clinical populations. So individuals who 
you know, are recovering from a surgery or on bed rest from some type of illness. You know, I think there's a lot of crossover in terms of how we, you know, can maybe recommend certain nutrients and, and supplement strategies for those individuals. Um, and so I've, I've worked in a variety of different settings. I've worked for a few different academic institutions as a faculty, um, doing kind of teaching and research. And then now the last five years, I've worked for Mayo Clinic in their sports medicine department. So now I'm in more of a clinical type setting, but yet still trying to do a lot of the same kind of athlete focused research that I've done throughout my career. Yeah, nice. And it makes sense to me that you would try to apply what you learn in an athlete population to sort of more maybe that sort of specialized or even general population given that the it's almost like the athlete is like this perfect sort of model of almost the extreme and then I don't know I can I can see how that's um I can see why you would want to sort of see how it works in sort of general population I suppose. Yeah, and I think it's it's actually kind of an understudied area that, that really has a lot of potential. Because again, if you think a lot of the goals with with some athletes, you know, we're always trying to get them bigger or increase lean body mass or maybe get them more stronger or improving performance, where as in certain clinical populations, there is still a need to either maintain lean body mass, you know, if they're recovering from some of these invasive surgeries or if they have some type of catabolic condition where they're losing muscle, losing strength, losing functionality. It's like we can still take a lot of these principles, obviously you scale them down a little bit for you know, clinical or, or general populations. But I, I, again, I think there's a lot of potential there for some of those strategies to be really beneficial and you know, could make the difference of changing the quality of their life, you know, helping them recover quicker or yeah. you know, better managing whatever condition they may have. Yeah, yeah, no, makes makes perfect sense. Um, Andrew, and how is it that you came to sort of be interested in the energy drinks, energy shots um, uh, sort of area? It, it kind of stems from some of the earlier work that I did with pre-workout supplements. Um, and so I've always kind of had a fascination with really any dietary supplement. Uh, that was kind of what drew me into that field uh, way back in grad school. Uh, I was always just kind of interested in how we could, you know, maybe manipulate some of the metabolic pathways or physiological responses in a way that, you know, could ultimately improve performance. And so even just myself through, you know, my training that I was doing, I was a, a fan of caffeine. I liked it. You know, I liked coffee or other kind of caffeinated type supplements or products. And so I, I kind of had some self-serving interest there of, you know, are the things that I'm taking actually making a difference? Are they safe? Uh, and so early on, it was a lot of, you know, again, studying different pre-workout supplement type products and then, again, evaluating did they work kind of quote unquote, um, you know, what kind of a response did they have? How did they influence different aspects of performance? And so there's a lot of crossover and overlap between pre-workout supplements and, and energy drinks and, and people kind of use them almost interchangeably um, in, in some settings, you know, for some kind of athletes or, or regular gym goers, I see people use energy drinks as a pre-workout or I'll see people take pre-workout you know, before they're going on a long car ride or they just need to stay awake and alert. So maybe we can get into the overlap of ingredients later on. But that was kind of how I became interested in, in this particular topic uh, when we pursued that position stand with kind of focusing on energy drinks. Yeah. And and so you're seeing it as um, more like, is it emerging more and more that people are 
not relying isn't the right word, but they're using them now compared to say what they once were with this sort of explosion of more energy drinks on the market. Like, is yeah, absolutely. I, I, certainly within the United States, that that energy drink market as a whole has just skyrocketed in the last even just five years. Um, I, I don't know offhand the, like the number of products available on the market, but. I, I got to imagine it's increased probably tenfold. You go into any grocery store, convenience store, and they have multiple shelves of different types of energy drink products. Um, and the other thing that's kind of interesting, again, here stateside, is we, we start to see caffeine pop up in a lot of other types of beverages as well. So yeah. caffeinated water, uh, caffeinated sparkling water, you know, some of these things that historically haven't really had caffeine in them, now all of a sudden, there's added caffeine to it. So it's even when we wrote this position stand, it was kind of hard of where do we draw the line between what is an energy drink and what isn't because so many of these products are now having caffeine added to them. Yeah. And so what actually does define an energy drink? We try to set kind of our own criteria um, we, we did it in the position stand, but actually a couple years prior to that, um, we were kind of pursuing a study that would queue up this position stand. So we tried to establish our own kind of standard definition, if you will, of what an energy drink was. And then similarly with an energy shot. And so what we did is we kind of, you know, surveyed the market of some of these different types of products that were available and kind of informally just reviewed um, the nutrition facts labels on these different products and tried to, again, establish what could be kind of a set definition here. And uh, there's a paper that I can pass along where we kind of link, you know, it's, it's kind of a mouthful of what our definition was. But more or less, it was, you know, a product that was a ready to drink beverage. So it comes in various serving sizes of, of eight, you know, 12 or 16 ounces in terms of beverage formulation. Typically has caffeine in it, you know, is marketed in a way where it's supposed to provide increased energy or focus, alertness. Uh, and then we kind of listed some common ingredients that, you know, needed to be there before we would kind of designate it as an energy drink. And so really what we were trying to do is eliminate some of those products that I just mentioned where it's a sparkling water, where it, it has fluid, it has some kind of carbonation, it has caffeine, but that would be it. You know, there really wasn't any other kind of active ingredients in those types of products. So we were trying to exclude those from, you know, the position standard, this other review article that we kind of summarized the ingredient profile of these beverages. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, you know, if I think about some of the common ingredients like uh, caffeine, obviously, is one, and carbohydrate. I mean, you have, you know, you have a class that has the, the sugar contained, but there are a ton of sort of zero calorie ones now on the market. Like outside of those two, which we know have a, an ergogenic aid, is there much research to support the use of B vitamins or vitamin A or E in, in that performance? Um, enhancement space? I, I would say not enough evidence where we kind of have a, a clear sense of, yes, there's an ergogenic benefit. Here's the dose that you need to ingest. And here's the kind of magnitude of benefit that you're likely to see. There's kind of a handful of studies that have maybe shown mild improvements in, in exercise performance, whether it's you know, from taurine or, or carnitine or some of those other kind of popular ingredients that were in there. But in terms of a lot of the B vitamins, 
not that I've seen where it's again convincing evidence that yeah, there's a, a definite benefit that you're going to get from ingesting these, even though they're in all kinds of products that claim that they they are supposed to improve performance. And I think a lot of it, or or even those ingredients as a whole, is kind of a good example where there's really sound mechanistic reasoning as to why they would improve performance. You know, there are you know, various cofactors and different pathways. You know, in terms of metabolism and energy systems, and, and you kind of look through it and you're like, yeah, I could see we're taking more of this would increase that metabolic pathway or, or metabolic production of, of energy. Yet when we translate it to kind of human research and apply that same you know dosing recommendation, we just don't see that result that you know maybe people think there should be or, or would be just kind of based on that physiological rationale. So that's kind of why we do, you know, human subjects research, right? To see what, what we see in a cell line or Petri dish or on paper, you know, does that translate to actual kind of meaningful performance improvements? And again, I'm not really convinced of the evidence where we have kind of a clear answer there with a lot of those other ingredients. Totally. And I, and as you were talking about that, that just makes perfect sense to me because a lot of what I see in the nutrition literature is if you have insufficient or inadequate sort of levels, then of course, having more of these is going to help optimize that pathway. But it's not like having these super physiological amounts is then going to uh, result in that um, performance enhancement, I suppose. Yeah. And I think that's a great point, you know, is, is identifying whether or not that person does have a deficiency. So if they don't get any B vitamins in their diet, yeah, adding more, you know, to it, you know, might make a difference. It might not be enough to really move the needle in terms of a huge performance improvement, but, you know, maybe over time, just more ingestion of those, you know, vitamins or other ingredients that they may be deficient in, you know, that, that could make more of a difference longer term. It's just hard to really kind of identify that within, you know, different research type projects. Yeah, for sure. And what about the amounts that are in some of these drinks, Andrew? Like I'm thinking of carnitine, for example. Like I know, like I've I've chatted to Dom D'Agostino before, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, and he talks about carnitine um as a, a as a supplement that helps shuttle, you know, um, uh, fat to be used as an energy source, but the amounts that you often see in things like, you know, energy drinks and, and, um, other products are quite small compared to what you would actually need to see that appreciable difference. Is, is that the same sort of with what you're finding in this area? Yeah. For, for a select number of, you know, some of those active ingredients, I would say, yes, that's certainly the case. And we saw the same thing with, uh, we actually did the exact same kind of analysis with pre-workout supplements. And again, found that a lot of those were kind of underdosed to what you would need to ingest to see more of a meaningful uh, increase in performance. How, however, it's not, you know, consistent across the board because in terms of the vitamin B content, uh, the values that they include in some of these are off the charts, you know, well above uh, the recommended daily allowance. And it seems like they just said, if some is good, more is better. And then just kept adding it, adding it, adding it to the point where, you know, some of the amounts were 2000% above what's recommended for a, a daily intake. 
Uh, and so it's, I don't know why they, they went to that extreme or how they came, you know, to settle on that number. Good news is with a lot of those B vitamins, they're water soluble. So, you know, the risk of toxicity, uh, is lower compared to some of the, the fat soluble ones. But so again, some ingredients might be underdosed, whereas others have the other problem and they're extremely high dosed. Uh, it's still, I don't think it's enough. Or I just don't think that ingredient is one that you're going to get kind of a dose response, you know, benefit if you just keep adding more and more to it. Yeah. And I guess it's sort of almost in the human psyche, isn't it? More is better. More is always going to be more. And I think that that idea that you're getting X, like, you know, hundreds times more of some particular thing sort of appeals to this requirement that if we have more, we'll, we'll do more and we'll be better. Yeah. And I think some of them, they're kind of chasing some of the acute responses of like niacin. You know, if you take a high amount of that, you might get the niacin flush and a person might perceive that as, oh, this drink is is kicking in. It's working. I can feel something. Uh, And then again, maybe they run faster or longer or something where (laughs) there's not really anything from a physiological standpoint that is making them perform better. Again, just mentally, they may perceive it like it's it's kind of quote unquote working for them, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, am I right in thinking beta alanine has that um, sort of pins and needles um, yep. feeling? And so I par- certainly, yeah. Paresthesia is that, yes. is that side effect. And I think the exact same thing is, is some people will feel that and say, okay, I can feel the beta alanine kicking in. It's, it's doing something now. I can get that sensation. And so mentally, again, they may think it's, it's kind of working or now they're going to perform better. I, I do hear some people hate that effect and some people, yeah. you know, it drives them crazy and they're going to jump out of their skin and they just, they don't like it. So it kind of, I guess, depends on how you respond and, and how you tolerate some of those kind of acute responses to ingesting those ingredients. Yeah, sure. And also, of course, the placebo effect is a real effect too, right? So if I'm taking an energy drink or having an energy shot, um, then and I think it's going to work for me, then potentially that is going to actually help um, help me excel at whatever I'm about to do next, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, actually one of the more kind of contributing factors to why they can work kind of the way they do. But then, you know, on the flip side of that, like we said, with some of the younger athletes taking it, I think it kind of becomes habit forming where it's just part of your routine now. It's like, well, I got to I got to have my energy drink before I go work out or my workouts not going to go well. I'm not going to perform, you know, good. So they just get into this habit of I need it uh, now to go work out or perform at the level that I've done in the past, where if they didn't take it, you know, from again, from a physiological standpoint, I don't think it would be enough to really kind of hinder their performance for the day. But mentally, they might just kind of check out for the day and say, oh, it's not going to go very well. I didn't get my energy drink or, or again, same thing with pre-workout. I didn't get my pre-workout in. I didn't get my you know, normal routine in for the day. So uh, I'm just going to be slow and sluggish now. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And Andrew, is it like, is bef- before we sort of get onto some of the potential negative impacts of some of the things in energy drinks, like if people are using energy drinks, what what kind of, well, first, did you, like when you were looking into it, either in um, the, the sort of position stand I'm thinking of or any of your other research, like are there preferred drinks for brands? Are you able to like give us a couple of like preferred brands that you would go, yeah, actually this has a good profile of XYZ, will sort of do what it purports to do, or is there nothing really sort of that stand out in the market? 
Yeah, I think it really depends on a lot of factors, and a lot of it is going to be body weight related, believe it or not, just because a lot of our dosing recommendations for caffeine of kind of what we know in terms of an optimal dose is, is usually body weight dependent. You know, bigger people may need a larger dose. And so if we look at the caffeine content of energy drinks, you could kind of make that decision based on how big that athlete is. If they're, you know, a hundred plus kilos, they may need the energy drinks that have 300 milligrams of caffeine in them to kind of put them in that recommended, you know, dosing range. Whereas if you have a, a 40 or 50 kilo athlete, maybe that would be way too much caffeine. They wouldn't tolerate that very well. And so maybe looking for a drink that has a, a smaller caffeine content to it um, to just kind of avoid, you know, maybe overdosing them. Because I, I think that's really the, the ingredient that's going to make the biggest difference one way or the other uh, if we're talking kind of performance benefits. So you could almost make that decision just based off of caffeine content alone. Uh, and then you know, a lot of it's going to come down to just personal preference and, and taste um, or maybe what type of sweetener are in these or if you're looking for a sugar or sugar free version. Um, so you could kind of maybe go down a checklist of what's your priorities here. Do you want the caffeine or do you want a sugar one or do you need one that has you know a better electrolyte profile? Is that what you're looking for in a drink? So I think it kind of depends on what's most important to the, the user or the consumer of that drink. Yeah, sure. And so is it then, well, I mean, is is it hard to think about, a, or is it hard to study, for example, the impact of this multi-ingredient drink and what's having the most benefit? Because as I'm hearing you talk, and of course what I know about performance enhancing aids, caffeine is the real standout from a lot of the ingredients that you're going to find outside of, a co- of course, carbohydrates. So are there is it, are there challenges in sort of studying the multiple ingredient drink? Uh, kind of twofold there. So one, it's not necessarily challenging to just give them the drink and then look how they perform. True. But B, it's challenging to determine, well, what made the difference in performance? You know, and when you go look at the ingredient profiles, it's like, geez, it could be, you know, three or five different active ingredients that was conferring some type of you know, ergogenic benefit. So it's, it's the back end of that, that is the challenging part of how do I explain, you know, what drove the, the performance improvement here. And then again, just kind of based on the literature of caffeine related research and kind of what we know about that ingredient, oftentimes that gets, you know, kind of moved to the top of the list of it's probably the caffeine here that's making the biggest you know, difference in terms of performance improvements one way or the other, just because as we said earlier, there's not a lot of other ingredients in here that have the level of evidence and support behind them uh, like caffeine does. And so the only way to really answer that question is if we get manufacturers to kind of specially formulate drinks where you do a head to head trial, this is an energy drink, as normally formulated, the other one is uh, an energy drink without caffeine in it or without taurine in it, where you almost kind of isolate single ingredients and pull them out and then just kind of compare them head to head, which is a, a very tedious process. And I don't know if anyone's got the patience to really see that through just because there's 15 ingredients in some of these different beverages. But that's ultimately what you would need to do to kind of determine which is the most you know, powerful or or kind of biggest contributing factor to whatever you're seeing in terms of an ingredient. 
Yeah. And I guess as well as from a personal perspective, if someone is like, I want to try this energy shot or this energy drink and compare how I feel taking this one versus this one, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter which one is going to help them perform better. If they know that one does, then they're just going to probably choose that. Yep, over a, absolutely. Anyway, so, yeah, so there's yeah. definitely kind of a pragmatic way to do it on an individual level of, and that's just the way the consumer market is driven anyway. You know, if people like the taste, like the way it makes them feel, or vice versa, someone drank an energy drink and they had a lot of GI upset and just didn't feel well after a while, they're, they're probably not going to purchase that product again, regardless if I tell them it has a perfect ingredient profile and this is the one you want. So, you know, everyone kind of has to do their own case study on some of these different things. And I'll always tell athletes that, you know, make sure you try this out on practice or a, a non-training day. So, or, a, you know, a training day, a non-competition day so that you don't figure out the hard way you know, this pre-workout or this energy drink just doesn't sit well with you because it can have adverse effects and you, you don't want to learn that out on game day. No, for sure. And um, what about optimal timing for energy drink consumption, Andrew? What do we know about that? Usually it's recommended to aim for about 30 to 60 minutes kind of prior to the start of training or competition, game, match, kind of whatever you have upcoming. And you kind of want to, you know, somewhat align it with when you want it the most within that competition, I guess. So the reason why we aim for 30 to 60 minutes is that's kind of the, the time frame that's needed for just some of the absorption of the fluid and then probably even more importantly, the caffeine to kind of get into the bloodstream and, and reach peak concentrations within the blood. So we're, we're kind of stealing what we know from the caffeine literature and then applying it to some of the, the timing recommendations for these drinks. Um, so if you're if you have a long race, you know something like a triathlon, you may want to yeah. maybe move that a little bit closer to the start of the race. Or I know some athletes that will even you know try to take something mid race or somewhat kind of in between events just to get that another kind of dose of that caffeine or even fluid electrolytes, some of those other things that will probably help them. Yeah. And if an athlete is used to sort of consuming the beverage and have sort of tried it in training, is there any uh, detrimental potential impact of having something like this mid-event, like mid-triathlon or Ironman or something like that? Do we know anything around that? I, I don't know if I've seen any evidence that would kind of indicate that. Just again, kind of from a pragmatic approach, drinking carbonated beverages, you know, mid-race just might not be well tolerated. Uh, but I know some athletes will just kind of leave it open, yep, and just get the carbonation out and you're drinking it flat. So that would be one approach. Or opting for more of kind of the powdered versions of an energy drink, which again, kind of might fit more of the definition of a pre-workout, but you know, something that you could easily just pour into a water bottle and kind of continue to drink while you're on the bike or, or whatever you're doing. And I know even now there's, there's caffeine gum and, and other ways to get caffeine. If, that, if that's truly what they're chasing is just the caffeine. I think you just got to go with whatever is logistically most feasible um, during that type of competition. And then uh, again, what's the most well tolerated. Yeah. Well, it is interesting if I'm thinking about Ironman, like they do have, they have, and actually a lot of ultra runs now as well. They have flat coke out on the course yep. in, in the marathon and people are chasing caffeine, but to like 
in my understanding, there's actually not a ton of caffeine that you're going to find there. So potentially it's a sugar actually that's that's helped those small amounts of sugar, despite the fact that it's quite high um, concentration. Yeah, I think a lot of kind of general public are shocked when they hear about that strategy. But just like you said, it's got fluid, it has sugar, it has some sodium in it, and then some caffeine. And all of those things are known to improve performance. So it's just kind of a, an easy way to get some of those things in there. And But again, there's nothing necessarily magical about the Coke. It's just you could get that from a variety of different products. So whatever works best for that athlete you know, could be interchanged there. Yeah, for sure. And um, what about, you know, athletes, obviously they expend a lot of energy, they burn a lot of calories, and you've got your no sugar energy drink versus the one that does have sort of carbohydrate. Now, if we were just talking about a general not that active population who might just go to the gym, and to my mind, I would probably suggest, hey, you know, forego the calories from carbohydrate, and if you really want it, just go the zero cal. Is there any um, sort of contraindication for like a particularly active person, like a triathlete, to be consuming energy drinks with the sugar in it? Like, do we know what that sort of combo is like? I haven't seen a lot with, you know, a study like that using energy drinks. Um, But again, if we combine what we know about caffeine and what we know about sports drinks, and kind of you know extrapolate by combining those two i don't see any reason why it wouldn't be helpful to an athlete um, because again you're getting the carbohydrates you're getting the fluids and then caffeine on top of it so it very well likely could have a performance benefit by including all of those together yeah and are there any so what are the potential pitfalls or downsides that you got that your sort of research group sort of listed out of having energy drinks or energy shots some of them is just the the concerns about overconsumption of caffeine. So very similar to other kind of caffeinated project products where there's always that risk for adverse effects where people get irritable, you know, kind of feel anxious. GI distress uh, is sometimes a frequent one, nauseous, those types of symptoms. Sometimes to the extreme, they'll feel you know, like rapid heart rates and almost more of the cardiac related issues or or adverse effects. But it's really no different than what we see from other caffeinated products in in terms of kind of the the risk profile, in my opinion. And in the studies that have reported more kind of case series or case reports from adverse effects associated with energy drinks, usually you find out that that person was consuming two liters of energy drinks throughout the day and, you know, had some kind of adverse event. And it's like, well, if you consume four or five times the recommended serving size for a lot of different things, you you may not tolerate it very well. So it's, that's probably more the concern is kind of the the abuse of those types of drinks, overconsumption of them or combining them with other types of of products that may have overlapping ingredient profiles. So if someone drinks a cup of coffee in the morning, they take an energy shot throughout the day, they also take a pre-workout and then maybe an energy drink later. It's like that that tends to be a lot of caffeine or, you know, a lot of B vitamins or some of these other overlapping ingredients in these different products that probably are increasing your your risk for side effects throughout the day. Yeah. And Andrew, if someone's interested in energy drinks and, you know, we, I mean, caffeine is, is like, I feel like caffeine is a thing that we should consider more than anything. Like, is there a particular amount of caffeine that we should 
be aiming for if we're wanting to sort of maximize the potential ergogenic aid in an energy drink or I mean I know more isn't better but well like are there any sort of recommendations around that Yep. So it's usually three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight is kind of the, the recommended um, dosing amount for, for the caffeine content. The, the challenge is kind of applying that to energy drinks and their formulations. You, you don't always have the luxury of getting exactly in that range that aligns with however much you weigh. Um, the average caffeine content, if we combine you know, most of the drinks on the market, is actually only about 174 milligrams. So it's not uh, an excessive amount. Um, and so what that equates to in terms of a relative dose is obviously dependent on how big of an individual that we're talking about. And so sometimes people may have to combine different products to, to kind of fall within that recommended range. Uh, I don't know if the best solution would just be keep drinking more energy drinks until you're within that window <laughs> just because there, there's other ingredients in there, you know, other than caffeine. So that's usually not, not the way to go, in my opinion. So there may be other strategies that you could use to kind of fall within that recommended range. Yeah. And what about guarana? Is that counted in, in terms of caffeine? Like in my head, I'm thinking people often talk about it as some sort of substitute for the buzz that you get from coffee. Am I, am I like, is that right? Am I wrong? Could be. Well, usually, usually in terms of total caffeine content, they'll, they should kind of provide where that caffeine is coming from. Was it sourced from guana or was it, you know, other extracts that contributed to that total caffeine content? So it, it can, I guess, be included in that. It just depends on how that manufacturer, how the label is kind of treating it or viewing it when they report their, their total caffeine content. Yeah, yeah, nice. And are there any energy drinks that don't have caffeine? Like when you were looking at like all of the ones out there? There were. We, we didn't include them in our, our review of these kind of ingredient profiles of the drinks on the market just because when we set our definition, including caffeine was one of them that, that we yeah, had in there. So it, it was kind of a biased selection, I guess, depending on how you view um, all the energy drinks out there. But there are caffeine-free versions of some of the energy drinks where they're looking for Maybe they have more nootropic focused ingredients in there. Um, and again, still trying to appease people looking for the cognitive benefit or increases in alertness, reaction time, using just maybe slightly different ingredients than obviously caffeine or some of the more traditional ones that you'll see in an energy drink. Yeah. Did you trial out these out in, in interest? Like when you were sort of doing the review or having a look at it going, oh, I might just see how, how I feel day to day on these different drinks? Yeah, I really haven't. I haven't much for for the caffeine free one. And same thing with pre workouts. There's caffeine free uh, pre workouts uh, available on the market as well. And from what I can tell, they're kind of marketed in a way for people who may work out at night, where they still want the the kind of benefit from a pre workout, but they don't want a high caffeine content because they may be trying to go to bed two hours later. So again, trying to provide something to those types of consumers where they can still get some of the benefits, but yet not stay up all night because they just ingested a high amount of caffeine. Yeah. And Andrew, with, if I'm thinking about the market of drinks out there and, and I'll, I'll, since you're, you know, you're really familiar with the pre-workout um, sort of range as well, like what should we be looking for in uh, either an energy drink, energy shot, or pre-workout that 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 may be most efficacious? 
I think it again kind of depends on what is the reason for use or what sport or type of training you know are we talking about because a lot of the energy drinks and the ingredients in them and and again kind of how they're marketed are more geared towards that that mental kind of energy of increasing alertness and reaction time yet also kind of in improving maybe various aspects of metabolism. So they're, you know, purported to increase fat metabolism or glucose availability or something along those lines where they're just trying to get more energy, whether we're talking at the cellular level or just more mental type of energy. Whereas pre-workouts tend to include ingredients that offer more kind of performance or training related benefits. So they'll have ingredients like beta alanine, uh, creatine, nitrates, some of those other active ingredients that have, I would say, more of a profound impact on physical performance abilities, uh, whether it's strength related, endurance related, or just kind of the adaptive response. So, you know, by taking creatine over time, you know, you tend to get better improvements in, in strength or power development, et cetera. And so, again, kind of depending on how you're defining works or, or makes a difference, I think it kind of, again, goes back to what's your core reason for using it? What type of exercise are, are you trying to you know, improve or enhance? Or are you just taking it for more of the cognitive benefits where, you're trying to study for for an exam and you really need to focus, you know, there I don't think you would need a pre-workout in that type of situation, something that has more of the, the cognitive related, you know, benefits or active ingredients would probably be sufficient in that situation. Yeah. And so if I was an endurance athlete then, I would probably benefit more from looking at that pre-workout range rather than an energy drink. Yeah. Again, if if you weren't, uh, the other advantage of the pre-workout is it's all of those ingredients combined into a single product. So for some athletes, they may be already taking some of those ingredients in, in other types of broad products or, or, you know, single ingredient type of supplements that they're taking. So again, it kind of depends on what else are we taking throughout the day and, and why are you using it? If you're just taking something for the caffeine, there's a lot of different options available. You could just do a cup of coffee, you know, if you want to just keep it simple with that. There's caffeine tablets that athletes often use because it's really convenient to just swallow a, a capsule and get your 200 milligrams of caffeine. As I said, there's gum, there's mouth rinse, there's drinks, there's powder mixes. So it, again, it kind of depends if you just want the caffeine from it or if you're trying to also benefit from some of our other kind of performance enhancing ingredients like creatine, beta alanine, nitrates uh, and some of those. Yeah. yeah, no. Awesome. And what about the health risks associated, Andrew? Like what are some of the things that you're a little bit, if you are concerned about with the burgeoning market of these energy drinks that are out there and shots? Yeah, usually a lot of the health health risks are associated with some of the kind of adverse cardiovascular effects. So they can increase blood pressure, they can increase heart rate, um, just because it's again largely influenced by the caffeine content, which is a sympathomimetic drug. So you're increasing the sympathetic nervous system activity, and if you're already someone who is susceptible to some of those effects, if you have high blood pressure or, you know, again, risk factors for cardiovascular disease, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to be consuming these types of products or any product that has a high caffeine content just because of those, those risks. And so 
that, that's usually where I think the biggest concern is. Uh, however, when we, again, look at the caffeine content of these beverages, they're really not that high. Um, if you look at regular coffee consumers, most people consume more caffeine on a, a regular basis just from their regular coffee habit than they would from, from energy drinks. But if you're that person who consumes three energy drinks throughout the day, that's a different story. And, and those, again, are... I don't think we really know the the risk of multiple servings of some of these beverages and then certainly the long-term implications of doing that you know what happens if you consume a high amount of these every day for several days weeks or months or years um i don't think we'll ever get those definitive answers and and probably just have to rely on you know kind of cross-sectional studies or kind of epidemiological work to kind of look at some of those potential risks. Um, and then the the other kind of concern that that I have, and I haven't really seen it you know, well studied yet, is some of the more nervous system related side effects of, again, if we just think a young athlete who may already be stressed from training, from school, uh, just life in general, and then you keep adding these boluses of caffeine and, and stimulating them repeatedly throughout the day, you know, multiple days on end. What is that doing kind of to their nervous system? Are they going to be chronically in this kind of fight or flight, stressed out state um, where we see maybe chronic elevations in cortisol or some of these other kind of adverse hormonal responses from, from doing that? And it, it could disrupt sleep. And so I think there's still a lot of unknowns associated with some of these beverages and maybe some of the more long-term health risks. And I, I don't think it's unique to energy drinks. I think we could apply that same concern to, again, throw pre-workouts in there, throw energy shots in there. And as we've already alluded to, there's just a lot of caffeine and a lot of different things on the market nowadays. So what is that doing to all of us if we're just constantly consuming this stimulatory you know, ingredient throughout the day. Yeah, and do we know much, Andrew, about adolescence and caffeine? And I, because I was just thinking as you were talking, obviously there we know that we, we have that body weight recommendation, um, which I'm not sure if it's just adult related, you know, three to six milligrams per kg body weight from a performance perspective, but does caffeine affect a young brain differently to, say, an adult brain? Do we know that? I, I don't, I'm not familiar with that um, research, to be honest. I'm not sure if that has been studied in, in younger children. I, I would say probably not just because of the ethical concerns that we often face when we try to do research on younger age individuals. So I, 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 to be honest, I'm not sure. I would certainly have my own hesitations. You know, I wouldn't be thrilled if my nine-year-old daughter came home with a, a big energy drink and it was drinking that. So <laughs> Um, but again, I, I don't know from a research standpoint, you know, how well investigated that has been. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And what you say about the nervous system thing is, uh, I completely agree. And I think of thinking of like a number of people who, from a health perspective, they shift from, uh, you know, full sugar energy drink to a sugar-free variety, um, which I think for the people I'm thinking about, because there is this large population of sedentary people who drink energy drinks for the for the energy buzz if you like and so whilst of course it's more uh, to my mind it's more healthful to to go the sugar-free route if we're thinking about that but still they're getting that central nervous system impact of the caffeine 
that, as you say, is related, uh, could also sort of impact negatively on metabolic health and blood pressure and, and your nervous system too. Yeah, and we'll see you know, where things go in the future. I, I can't see this market slowing down anytime soon, unfortunately. So I think we'll probably get some answers to these questions in the next, you know, five, 10 years as more just kind of populate population, you know, level research is being done to look at, you know, how are the consumption of these products, you know, again, whichever one you're talking about, but just how is that impacting all kinds of different health parameters, like you said, the cardiovascular ones or the nervous system or just natural growth and development in, in kids if if they're consuming these types of products. And, you know, again, within the states, maybe we will see a ban on certain ages at some point where they restrict it, you know, like they do with alcohol sales or something at, at some point. So it, it's hard to tell what's coming. Totally. And it's sort of freaks me out when I see like a teenager walk to school with this like huge huge can of like monster or I don't know what I don't I mean actually I don't know any other than I mean I would rock star or I don't know just these these horrible looking energy drinks and they're just like sculling it back like it's water like that's the other thing I think about too is like I think about all the water they're not drinking (laughs) when they're drinking these things yeah exactly and and the fact that they can drink it and tolerate it means they've probably been doing it for a while. Because I, I think, you know, when I was that age, if I were to drink something that had 300 milligrams of caffeine, I would have been off the walls. Like that would have just hit you really hard. But these kids must do it on a regular basis if they're able to do it and seem to tolerate it okay. And some of the other challenges too, I don't know if you have. Uh, these drinks where where you're located, but now uh, Gatorade came out with a a caffeinated kind of Gatorade type drink where it's a little bit lower in sugar content, but then it has 200 milligrams of caffeine, which uh, for, you know, select athletes, I think it's a great beverage that they now have available, but it looks just like a little Gatorade drink. So I, I just, I hope there's not a kid out there that grabs this thinking that, hey, this is a small Gatorade drink. It's perfect for me. I'm a child. And then they unknowingly just ingest, you know, 200 milligrams of caffeine. So even when I have those in my fridge at home, I try to put them on the higher shelf so that again, my girls don't accidentally grab them. I mean, I I think again, just goes to show that a lot of people probably drink a lot of caffeine, maybe not even knowing that there's caffeine in some of these types of products on the market. Yeah, yeah, sure. So Andrew, on that note, um, do you have energy drinks or energy shots? I mean, you just talked about the the Gatorade one that you might have occasionally. Like, do you use them for your performance and in, in, in gym work or sport or whatever it is that you you do? I do. Yep, and I'll. I'm really not partial to anyone. So sometimes I'll do coffee. Sometimes I'll do just like I mentioned those kind of Gatorade type products. Some of them are more the traditional kind of energy drink. Um, and sometimes it is for more performance type applications, you know, before I go uh, work out or something like that, or it's sitting at a computer and, you know, writing away on a, a research manuscript and just kind of need that yeah. caffeine type pick me up. So it's, it's more the caffeine that I'm kind of chasing with, with some of those products that I use. And again, I'll, I'll kind of switch it up and get it from a variety of different sources. So like right now when it's when it's hot out, you know, a nice hot cup of coffee doesn't really sound very <laughs> refreshing when it's already this warm. So, you know, maybe an energy drink is is more my go-to during the summer and then 
you know, winter, the complete opposite. Nice warm cup of coffee just kind of feels better when it's cold out. Yeah, nice. I um, I love a coffee before a run, uh, but also, but well, I, well, I've just seemed to have discovered these drink these Musashi drinks. I don't know if you guys have Musashi as a as a brand over there. I, I haven't seen it actually when I've when I've when I've been there. I don't think but, so. Um, so yeah, it's got like 160 milligrams of of caffeine in it, and it's delicious apple and grape, and it's slightly carbonated, and it just really sort of hits a spot uh, before you like, you know, go hit the um, bench press or whatever. I, I actually recently discovered they're almost like a little caffeine chew. Uh, I saw them online, and so it's again just a tiny little, almost kind of like a gummy bear type thing that has it has 200 milligrams, you know, per serving. So just you know, taking one of those is kind of sufficient for what I'd be looking for. But it's it's nice again for the convenience factor. So I think athletes who are traveling uh, or even mid race, if they really need that bolus of caffeine, it's a really convenient way to get it without again powders or, or you know, obviously riding a bike, drinking an energy drink isn't very realistic. So it's I think it's a good option for some of those individuals. So um, what's the brand? I think I even got it. Right here. Okay, it's fun. It's interesting where they can fit. Like, oh, what does so it say? Caffeine. Caffeine, caffeine nuts, uh, is melts is the the brand. Caffeine of it. melts. Brilliant. I'm going to pop that in the show notes because um, <laughs> that I think for my endurance athletes, I think that 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 would um, be a really interesting one to trial when they're out practicing because of course you get the gels have the um, sort of 50 milligrams of caffeine as a as a higher amount of caffeine, but that's like like when I when I run, I keep um, the last time I I did a marathon, I kept my two caffeinated gels for the last couple of gels that I had during my marathon, and at most of me just thought this is placebo more than anything to to give me a lift because I'm not sure that 50 milligrams is really gonna sort of cut it in terms of performance. But you know what, like 200 milligrams, if you can stomach it in terms of your gut, that might actually you might actually appreciably notice. Like, how long yep. do you notice after taking one of them that you get a bit of a hit? I, I would say it's probably similar to like drinking coffee, you know, so within 30 minutes, I would say I can kind of notice that the caffeine must have been absorbed and kind of circulating in bloodstream. The only thing I'll say about this, I hope the company doesn't come after me, but they taste terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had caffeine and hydrous, you know, just a pure powder, but it is very bitter and very hard to mask that taste. Uh, and so my guess is hopefully they're still working on <laughs> their masking and flavoring because <laughs> I think it's a newer brand. So you, yeah. I, I usually have to eat it and then immediately drink water and try to wash the the taste down a little bit. But again, it's so convenient that I'm willing to do that if I kind of need it in a pinch. So the, the last time I actually took these was on a, a conference trip. So when I was traveling, you know, not always around coffee shops or, you know, maybe I can't find the types of drinks that I like getting. So this again is a, a great option for people who are traveling and still kind of want that morning caffeine or whenever they get it. Oh, that's perfect. I don't know if you've ever tried um, ketone esters as in terms of like this is like, I mean, I know apparently they've improved the um, the palatability of it and it's still horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> you really still have to like take it and then like quickly wash it down with something else. Um, similar. The things we do for a performance edge. 
<laughs> totally. Mm. Andrew, thank you so much for your time this morning. And I will pop in the show notes, definitely a link to those caffeine melts. And of course, the uh, position stand that sort of sparked my interest in this area. Um, where can people find more of the work that you and your research team are doing? So we have kind of a departmental website, so Mayo Clinic, Health System, Sports Medicine, and then if you kind of add my name to that, you'd find, you know, some of the different research projects that we have ongoing and kind of a list of, you know, previous studies that we've published. And then I try to post a lot of updates that we do on, on Twitter or on Instagram to kind of highlight, you know, some of the different research projects, again, that we've done or, again, just other interesting studies that I come across. That's probably where I find a lot of my ideas or you know, kind of helpful current literature is on Twitter. It's a really kind of helpful resource for, for some of those types of tools. So that's kind of where uh, people could follow some of that work if they're interested in it. Nice. Thank you. And finally, what are you working on right now? Um, we have a, a couple projects in the works with our local firefighters. Um, so we've kind of shifted our focus recently with some more tactical populations. And again, just kind of looking at how their performance changes throughout the year. Uh, and we'll probably start getting some nutritional interventions or different strategies that we can implement to help them sleep better, to help them recover, um, and, and some of those types of tools. And then kind of going back to what I was saying earlier with the clinical populations, we have a couple studies that we're about ready to start where we're providing patients with, um, you know, ingredients like protein, creatine, uh, HMB before they go into surgery and then have them supplementing after surgery to see if it can help them better retain lean body mass and, and strength and, and kind of overall function. So uh, those are a couple of the projects that are keeping us busy here in the next couple months. Yeah, oh, that sounds really awesome. I'm really looking forward to um, hearing the outcomes of particularly that last study. That sounds really useful. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I've really appreciated it this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully you got a little bit of sort of knowledge and information from what Dr. Jagim and I discussed today. And of course, as I mentioned, I've popped a link to the position statement in the show notes. Next week on the podcast, I speak to R.D. Dykeman, Richard Dykeman, all about low-carb diets for type 1 diabetes. You are going to want to listen to this. It is great stuff. So that is next week on Wikipedia. Until then, though, you can catch me over on Instagram, threads, and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, or head to my website, MickeyWillardin.com. All right, team, you have the best week. See you later.